Do grab your seats. Well, if you have a Bible, if you can turn to the book of Psalms and Psalm 23. This time last week um, in the south, those of you who are here at the south location, during the worship time, Derek um, bought a, a very simple word, but a word that really stuck with me. And actually, I talked to lots of different people who brought it up during the week. And he, he in essence, said this. He said, I believe God wants to teach us for us to find our encouragement and our strength actually in God, not in changed circumstance. It's one of those things you've heard probably like me a thousand times. You kind of nod, thanks, Derek, great one. But then actually, it, sorry, no, I was awestruck, Derek, as I heard it, sorry. But as I heard it, I thought, it, it, I felt there was, there was an anointing on that. And as I thought and prayed about this week, this precious moment we have to be together in one room, the words of Derek actually came back to me again and again, the words of the Lord through Derek. And when I thought about what, as we gather now as a church, increasingly, even in the middle of August, filling a room and all that the Lord has done and is doing, the fruit that he's bringing is impossible to keep up with. I mean, you have one video and we're just touching, the, scraping the you know, the surface of the, the goodness of the Lord uh, and thinking, Lord, how do we keep up in the next 5, 10, 20 years? And I felt the Lord say in a room like this, increasingly there's going to be people who will be celebrating and people who will be mourning. The Bible says it says to mourn with those who mourn, but it also says to laugh with those who laugh. And as things get bigger, increasingly you have a whole church family where constantly both those things are happening all the time. And what that means is, more than ever, we need to be a people who, to be honest with you, more than getting everything right, more than getting PowerPoints right or PA levels right or, or whatever it is or whatever team you're involved in, although we want those things to go well, my deepest passion for us as we come together is that we would learn to be a people who no matter what's going on in our life, a green pasture moment or a dark valley moment, that we would be a people who know that the Lord is enough. The sufficiency of our shepherd. The sufficiency of our, that's a hard word to say, the sufficiency of our shepherd. And I, and I, I felt that this morning, although I want us to celebrate, I, I felt that there's a tenderness that the Lord wants to bring to us today. I felt that the Lord would say to us that actually when you look through the Bible again and again, this, this idea of a shepherd is not just a one-off. It, it's like a heartbeat throughout the whole of the scriptures. The first master, Abel, right at the beginning, he was a shepherd. Many of the patriarchs, Moses and David, they were shepherds for a reason. Genesis 48 talks about God as a shepherd right at the beginning of the Bible. And alongside that, what you see is a highly regular occurrence of, of God describing us as his sheep. As his sheep. Interestingly, King David, when he's talking about some of his enemies who are very clever and cunning. He, he uses, he says they're a little bit like kind of clever and cunning animals. But then when he describes the church, when he describes Israel, when he describes us, we're always described as sheep. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are extremely needy. Sheep are prone to wander. <laughs> I love them. 
They're really unimpressive, bless them. And it's one of the main ways that God describes us. And this is, this is what I want us to walk out of that door in a few moments with. A renewed lightness of spirit that you are just a sheep. But you are more loved than you could ever imagine by the shepherd. In a room like this, many of you are going through green pasture moments. It's so good. And many of you are going through dark valley times. But the point is the shepherd. It says here, doesn't it? Let's read the first line. He says, he just lays it out. David just lays this extraordinary, ridiculous claim. If it wasn't for the Bible, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It says in the, um, in the ESV, I, I, I shall lack nothing. Think about that. He, he, in this first line, he's saying this truth that actually we heard in the South last week that I want us to meditate on just for a few moments today, which is our sufficiency, our sustainability never comes from changed circumstance. It always comes from knowing the Lord is your shepherd. Do you know the Lord as your shepherd today? Do you see yourself as a sheep Let's pray and ask him to go to work. Lord, I want to thank you so much that in a world that tries to pump up our egos, you gently deflate them. (laughs) But there is freedom in that. And in a world that loves to just pour water over the idea of a a good or loving God, Lord, you, you increase in our mind's eye again and again the magnitude of who you are as a shepherd. And I want to pray today, Lord, that you would tend to your flock in a way that I can't do and only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what we see here is wonderful. I've never spotted this. I had a great man called Dallas Willard recently. He said every single day of his life, he goes over this this particular psalm. Every day, and the Lord's Prayer. I mean, that's crazy. Every day, surely you get to the end of of seeing new stuff. But this guy, he's an amazing guy. So anyway, it's an amazing scripture we're going to look at. And we're just going to look at it, just a few elements of it. But I want to encourage you to meditate on this slowly. What we see is here, is David makes this bold claim in verse 1. No matter what is happening in your life, the Lord is enough for you. In a certain way, you shall actually lack nothing that you need is what he claims. Now, then what he does is in the next few verses, he, he describes three different sheep scenarios that you will probably be able to identify with one or two, or maybe like me, all of them to certain degrees in your life. And in each of them, he's making the same point. So for example, we'll look at in a moment, the first couple of verses, verses two, three, two and three, here we're going to look at what it is when you're a weary sheep. Some of you will identify with that. And he's making the point that the Lord is your sufficiency. And then we're going to see in one verse, the next verse, verse 4, where you're a, a fearful sheep. And he's going to make the same point that the Lord is enough for you when fear marks you out more than anything. And then in the final couple of verses, he, he, he really describes a picture of what I could say is only a needy sheep. You're not particularly fearful, you're not particularly tired, but you have a lot of need. There's lots of things that you need answers for or wisdom on in your life. And what he says is, no matter where you sit, the Lord is enough for you. So let's read then, first of all, verse 2 two and 3, this first scenario, a weary sheep brackets 
but perhaps you don't really know it. He says here, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, this is very familiar words. But what I want us to notice is, is he's made this bold claim that the Lord is always enough for us. However, why is it that so, for so, so many of us, we hear that truth, and yet our lives actually genuinely reflect that we don't live in the good of it? And what he does here is we can read these words and, you know, we can often think, oh, this was David as a young man. Actually, it's likely he wrote this as an older man, having gone through many, many battles, made many mistakes. And he's looking back with seriousness saying, don't poo-poo this. This isn't a nice sort of twee little picture. Oh, I'm a little sheep and he's a shepherd. No, no, this is profound. And what he does in these, in these verses is, is verses that at first seem nice and refreshing and all lovely, the more you look at them, you realize that, yes, there's loving comfort there, but that in amongst all these verses, there's little glimpses which explain and help us to understand why it is we so often do not access the shepherd. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, he uses this phrase, he makes me lie down. Do you spot that? Now, most of us spot that one. He makes me. Oh, uh, yeah. What, what he's actually saying is, we think we want to rest. We think we want to learn how to switch off. But the nature of sin is to drive us on and on and on and on and on. We've looked at this over the last few weeks. You know that. That's why the Sabbath, that's why being a stopping people was so profound. The gospel makes you stop like nothing else on planet Earth can do. And so we have to understand the word that makes me lie down is very deliberate. Because all of us, even when in our life we've experienced pain, maybe you're a teacher here and you've just survived the last 12 months and honestly you're here by the skin of your teeth it's just almost killed you many of you in education are feeling that but what you have to understand is even though at times we think we want to lie down we think we want to rest actually the fact that he says I make you do it is a little indicator it's it's, it's it's stunning. It's helping us realize that in all of us, there is a proneness. You know, like when you, you, you've been sick and you think you're okay now and you get out of bed prematurely and you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm whoa. And you almost fall over because you're not. He's saying we're, we're like people who think we're fine, who are running on adrenaline and actually often we're not fine. And there are deep seasons and deep regularities where we need to be made to lie down. But notice it is a lying down. Again, think about that. Most of us don't mind lying down at the end of night when no one else can see, perhaps with our spouse. There is something very humbling about me being made to lie down in any other situation. I'd like to sit down. That's dignified. He says, no, no, no. This, this type of rest that we tend to recoil from at a deep level it involves a totality of surrender. It is undignified in that sense. There is, there is a, this feel of, of, of genuinely needing to fully and utterly embrace God's path for us, which is a bit like the difference between putting your phone on silent and turning your phone off. 
I will pause and rest. No, 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 you need to lie down. There's a metaphor here that is conveying a totality of it, a surrender at a deep level. It's a little bit like um, <laughs> every Wednesday morning, um, I have my, a bit of time in the morning in the shed, and I normally just go straight from bed. So I'm in my pajamas, come down, 7.30, having breakfast with the kids. And I always forget that at 7.45, a little wonderful boy called Jacob Thomas comes. Now, some of you know Jacob. And his mum and dad, they've taken it in turns to drop them off. Now, they're on their way to work, teacher and social worker. So they're all dressed, ready to go. And at 7.44, I suddenly remember they're about to come through the door and drop him off. And I'm in my pyjamas. Now, when I, I, but for you, I'm behind the table, so they can't tell. And I have this, thought, oh, they're coming in. But it's okay, they can't see the pyjamas. Now, I don't really want to be on my pyjamas when someone else comes in. Anyone identify with what I'm talking about? There's just something a bit weird about it. It feels lazy. They're like working nine two, actually seven two five or whatever it is. They're off to work, and there's their pastor in his pajamas, leisurely having his breakfast. There's something in me that does. You know, if you're sick and you're lying down, and someone comes in, and this is someone you really know, what do you do? You try and sit up. You don't want to lie, spread eagles out. There's something in us. This idea of lying down. We think we like, but we don't. I feel I. I, I I felt for some of you, at the end of this preach, your application is, is to lie down here as a prophetic sign to God that you are willing. Because it's about humbling yourself. He makes me lie down. Uh, and then look at this, green pastures. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? One level it is. He doesn't say green lawns or green allotments. A pasture is a very large area. He's describing, I think, and hinting that, a certain space in your life. The image really is of, of one person alone in a, in a large area. I think it hints at solitude. Again, another thing that most of us like a little bit of, a bit of a novelty, Whew, a, bit of a bit of a breather, had half an hour on my own, it's lovely. The Bible raises the practice of solitude up high. That's another reason, you see, for many of us, actually learning this kind of deep rest in God, which often requires regular times of real solitude, which most of us find very awkward, is hinted at here, green pastures. I want you, O oh little sheep, at times, to genuinely learn what it is to have extended times where you are truly alone with your Creator and nothing else, nothing else can get in the way of that. It goes on. The more you look at every little phrase, you realize he's helping us to understand why at one level we, we think we're those that want to rest, but often don't. That even the next phrase, he leads me. Now, at one level, that's a huge encouragement. He's in control. He's leading. But the actual phrase here really means he leads me gently. Most of us want to be led very, very clearly and very, very strongly, don't we? He leads gently. That's what it actually says. He gently leads. You see, sheep, they can't be driven like cattle. They need to be gently led. After my sabbatical, many people have looked at me and said, God, you look, you look good. You, well, <laughs> you know, you look renewed. <laughs> you look good, Tom. No, you look renewed. Tell me. I've, give me give, give one minute. Give me a summary. How can I get there? And I know what people are saying, but there's a sense in which... I can't give you a formula. It's kind of the whole point. 
is that he led me gently, hour by hour. I didn't have a plan. And it was kind of scary, because I don't feel like I hear God very well. And he leads me gently. Really, (laughs) all I can say is, give him time and try your best to listen. We don't want that answer. Give me a book, Tom. Give me a, something to do. Well, it's, it's actually, it's ultimately about stripping everything down and being very vulnerable and saying, I'm willing to, to try and be led by a gentle voice. He leads me gently beside still waters. Do you see there again? Most of us want white water. We do. Have you ever started staring at still water? Give me a bit of running. Still? Yeah, stagnant after. No, stillness. It's not normal for us. It sounds terribly attractive when we glance through the scripture, but you suddenly realize there's, a, there's something here that he's helping us to understand why this is so alien for us and why so many sheep never discover this path. He's going to talk about a path of righteousness. It just means a right path. He's describing, he's a shepherd. He goes, follow me on this path. This is the path, a path which requires you lying down metaphorically as well as literally. It requires you actually allowing me to do it to you. It requires pasture time where you're on your own, leading by a gentle voice. Come on this path. And every element I've just described, most of us struggle with. And so we stay weary, tired sheep. He says he restores my soul. Restoration's slow. Do you know it took five times the restoration of Leonardo, not DiCaprio's, Leonardo da Vinci's <laughs> painting of the Lord's Supper. It took him four years to paint. It took 20 years to restore. For him to restore your soul, not to reboot or to recharge, it's great, overnight can do it. Restoring is slow. Some of you, even the pace at which I'm talking is annoying you. <laughs> it's a profoundly anti, anti-cultural thing I'm talking about, counter-cultural thing. To restore my, sl- my soul. And then it's, and notice it is my soul. It gets worse. My soul. Restore my body. I understand that. Or my emotions. Restoring my soul. How do I measure that, Tom? You're saying... This is all about him restoring my soul, which is the one part of me I've, I understand is there and is the most important part of me at one level. What does it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? But I, how do I even measure that? Richard Foster said, the great curse of our age is superficiality. That man, there's a sermon series in there. We're going to do it soon. He is so right. The soul, that inner part of us, about depth. It's a mystery, and yet it's profound. So you see, we've only done a buck of verse or two, guys. And I hope you're feeling really encouraged. <laughs> but you see, there's no bit of scripture. I've learned this the hard way. There is no bit of scripture. If you ever read a bit of scripture and you think, oh, this is just pure, pure encouragement, there's always teeth to it. Have you noticed that? Because he loves us and he wants to change us. And this isn't a little twee picture of a nice shepherd in a, oh, he just loves you. He does love you. But why will you not rest? 
is what he says to us. To me. You say it. You've known this scripture since you were alive. But you miss it. And this is where it gets really, really serious. Look at the very last four words of this verse. He leads me in these paths, these right paths I've just described. Why? Because he loves you. No, he does. But what he says above that is for his name's sake. That hit me. So I literally gasped out loud when I was in a little wood. I read that. I'd never seen it. Listen. If sheep are happy and rested despite challenges, but are applying this right path in their life, it gives glory to the shepherd. If someone goes, wow, Mr. Shepherd, your sheep are just, they've got lots of challenges. They're not being fake and all positron. But you know what? There's a depth of, of, of communing with the God that is impressive. I wouldn't commune with God. You know what I mean? That's where the metaphor falls down. But what I'm trying to say is, it's contented, well-refreshed sheep bring glory to the shepherd. Bedraggled, frazzled, God-ignoring sheep don't glorify the shepherd. In fact, they dishonor the shepherd. So when I was sitting there and I was thinking, I was sitting in my, in my, in my um, I'd just been having IBS before my sabbatical from stress. And I felt God say, it doesn't glorify me, Tom. When a self-induced thing, which is my personal conviction, I'm not saying we never get ill. Please don't mishear me. I'm saying for me, personally, we went through all the physical things with the doctor. The only thing left was stress. And that was my fault. I'd made dramas which weren't even there. My wife would be a big surprise. You finally realize, Tom, drama queen. <laughs> and so I was, oh. And actually, I felt God saying, listen, I'm not asking you to pretend, but what I'm saying is, it is to my glory. It's about my reputation. So, so for me to literally lie down and embrace feeling a bit lazy by properly resting in my life. And listen, I'm not talking about having a holiday. Having a holiday, most of us will have a holiday. It's not about having a holiday. Most of us are happy to have a holiday, but we resist having our souls restored. We're happy to go and have a break where physically and mentally we're refreshed. Let me ask this question. When you go on holiday, do you come back spiritually more alive or spiritually further away? My tendency is the latter. Just to release you, if any of you are thinking you should have said the former. Some of you wonderful people will say, oh, the first, clearly. I was chatting with this last summer with a friend of mine. And his dad's an amazing spiritual leader. And he, and he was talking to his dad about this and saying, and his dad said, I, when me and my wife go away, if God is the God of comfort, why wouldn't we try and access him more than ever? Now, what he's saying is true, but it convicted me to the core because I'm often so exhausted when I get into my holiday. I'm just like, great, a chance to sleep a bit more, have some good food, have sunshine on my face, watch some movies, have a bit more sleep, wander around somewhere, and then I'm back. Hmm. Is, is that quite what God's talking about? Is that the complete picture? So we have to be a people who say, Lord, this is about your namesake. This is about your actual reputation. That you have promised that you want to be someone who even when there are things that are difficult, that there's this promise that I can lack nothing. That's an extraordinary thing to say. 
I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even have the audacity to say that pastorally because it sounds irresponsible. But it is what the Bible says. So, are you a weary sheep who doesn't really know it? Are you kind of aware of your ongoing pace or whatever it is? And today the Lord wants to say to you lovingly, it's time to lie down, to develop. Don't resist me, is what he's saying. Secondarily, though, we then see in verse 4, the fearful sheep. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you notice what happened with the words? I love this. You see, verses 1 to 3, he's talking about God. Verses 5 and 6, he talks about God. But verse 4, he now talks to him. For you are with me. And isn't it true in our life that, it's, that we are prone in the green pasture moments to talk more about God than when we come to those valley moments? And although none of us want the valley moments, big or small, that it is so true that it, it is often the fruit of those darkest times when we do actually finally start to address him directly rather than talk about this one that we say we know. And what we see here is yet again this amazing illustration and promise that even in these times where life is hard, the shepherd is sufficient, is what he's saying at the same point. He says it here, he says, even though, okay, so he's just saying even though, even when things are really tough, look at this word, I walk. It's very individual. Some of you are going through things right now. And you've got lovely wives, lovely husbands. You've got great friends. But you do feel alone, ultimately. Even though I walk, (laughs) often these times are slow, aren't they? It's not a quick visit. It's a long walk. Many of you are walking through times of darkness now. Things you just wish were not there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or another translation is the valley of deep darkness, apparently sheep have bad eyesight. They get scared very quickly if it's not bright. I think we're a bit like that. Whenever there's a power cut in my house, suddenly my little children want me more than anything in the world. They come very close. Very quickly. Dad! In the house. You see, the interesting thing is, there is a danger in our Christian life. There there are challenges. When when we're going through a a valley period, one of the dangers is that we can get angry at God in in an inappropriate way. That is a danger. But I think the greatest danger is when we're going through a green pasture moment. And our danger can be to forget the shepherd altogether and just to munch on on the grass. He's saying, even though I walk through this valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Now, this is like another like one of those verses, which I think, it's like that first one, I, I will have no lack. I think, I will fear no evil. Can anyone here with integrity put their hand up and say, you immediately believe that is something that you experience? I fear, I can battle with fear 
at different times over the most ridiculous things, let alone walking through the kind of significant thing he's obviously intimating at here. And so, so we have to ask the question, well, if he's promising this, how? How can we possibly be a people who do this? And he, he does tell us, he says, for you are with me. And then he describes the way that he's with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's saying the shepherd is sufficient. But you need to understand two elements of the shepherd when you're in that place that we often forget. It's not just, oh, he's with me in a kind of nice way. He, his rod is with you and his staff is with you. Now, what's significant about those? The rod, as it sounds, was a, a shepherd's rod was simply a big rod that he had with him to smack over the head of any wolves or snakes or anything that, sh- that we're going to attack. Basically, the point of the rod was to destroy enemies. The word of God is a rod like no other. When you are in that place, it is amazing how often only in the valley times suddenly do we start to pick up this in a new way, in a different way, in a way where suddenly it's a bit edgy and a bit like, Lord, this is really uncomfortable. And you, I'm coming to this with a new humility and a new desperation. This rod, this incredible book of promise after promise after promise. Some of you right now, you're worried about your health. You, you might be young, but you're still gripped by worry about your health. And the Lord would say, he understands, but he also wants you to use this. Every time the enemy tries to sneak in to say, but Lord, you, you have preordained every day. You are a healer. That is a, a name of God. You are one that has, from start to finish in this book, promised that you will, you will protect me and you will not let my foot slip. Some of you are fearful of failing. And the rod, the word, destroys the lies that creep in where we build our life upon success and trying to do well. Some of you are fearful about many different things in your life. And what the Lord would say is, as fundamental and simple as it sounds, knowing the word of God is one of the timeless ways in which God equips his people to be able to again and again and again destroy the enemy's lies that try and creep into our life. And I'll tell you one of the biggest is this, is the lie that your life is meant to be all green pastures. That's huge. That's probably the biggest one that you need to take away with you. When we think our life should all be verses one to three, and then we find ourselves in a verse four moment, the biggest rod, the biggest thing you've got to smash on the head is This is weird. This shouldn't be happening. Why am I failing? Is God cross with me? Why is my work situation a nightmare? Why is suddenly my spouse turned into a monster? Why are my kids going off the rails? Why is my neighbor awful? Why is, why is, why is? It's in those moments that the enemy loves to say to you, yeah, you're meant to be in green pastures. And actually, you go, no, no, this is much a, a path of righteousness, a right path. As the green pastures. It's a different season of my life. This is massive. For some of you right now, this is going to be the moment where the penny drops. (laughs) Is that you've been going through maybe, and and they might even seem smallish things to others. Does that count as a, a valley of deep darkness? It may do. But this is the point. If you haven't understood, when Jesus said, no servant is above his master, 
if I've had to go through so many things that seem like valleys of deep darkness, so will you. You cannot enter the kingdom of God aside from persecutions, trials, and many difficult things. I'm just currently reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anyone read that book? Buy that book. It's free on Kindle. It's amazing. It's a big book of people dying for their faith. Cheery, eh? I tell you what it does. It changes your perspective. It changes everything. It, you think, am I even a Christian? This Christianity that I've got used to, that I'm drinking in the world in which we live, is just so different from hundreds of years of men and women who will gladly go to their deaths because the gospel they proclaim offends people. It's breathtaking. And, and I was just uh, a few months ago, this happens every time I preach, I tell this kind of story. There were lots of big things happening in my head. And, and, and I was thinking, God, these, all these big things. So I rang Mike Betts. <laughs> there it is. Every, every sermon ends with Mike Betts. And he's an older spiritual father guy who I love to bits. He's very wise. And I was telling him all these things that were going on. And uh, lots of people who I chatted to had previously been very sympathetic. I'm like, wow, these are really huge things. Even one of them would be a big thing to have to think about and to deal with. I was like, I know. <gasps> I've got loads. And there was me, previous conversations, just lots of sympathy, which was helpful. And Mike was silent on the phone. And I was like, and there's this thing. And then there's this other thing. And at the end of it, he went, right. So your point is, <laughs> Tom, I love you, mate. But listen, if you're going to grow in leadership, if God's going to give you more things, you're, <laughs> you're going to look back on these as like chicken fry. These are just like tiny, teeny little things. If, God, if you want to say, God, use me. He will take you at your word and he will give you, not less, but way more things that are going to potentially keep you up at night. Night, night, bye. Put the phone down. But not quite like that. As he spoke, rather than depressing me, I felt absolutely just released. This, dark, this, this small valley of darkness that I was going through, these big challenges, actually, they weren't going to get less. They were going to get more but he would be with me and he would equip me. And it was the lie that something was wrong that was the killer. And it was the rod, the word spoken at that point through Mike that smashed that, said, no, 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 you're right in his will. But it feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? I was like, wow. It changed everything. Some of you right now, you're getting it and you're sitting there going, yes, I get it. I realize now that I shouldn't see this period as just some little blip that I've just got to get through. He's trying to teach me things, putting muscle into me so that actually one day he will give me even bigger things. Behind the stories of the great heroes of the faith, there's always a catalog of, of huge challenge that they've had to face. But also he talks about the staff to comfort the staff, the, the crook, was that item that basically kept the sheep close. What he's really saying is, knowing in those times that he is close to you and you are close to him is absolutely a game changer. Knowing what you're doing, as best as you can tell, is in the will of God, even when it brings a season of real potential fear, is a game changer. When you know that as best you can tell that you're walking with God and you're saying these things, I mean, obvious examples for me, I remember when many years ago there was a possibility of, of leading the church and I am not by nature a leader. I'm a most, I want to run away. Josie, my wife, is naturally an amazing leader. She loves it. She's brilliant. For me, I was like, 
what? There was all these amazing other guys you could lead in their sleep and were just like incredibly confident. And I was like, no, like Moses, you know, I just terrified. And then about three or four amazing prophecies came. Boom, 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 boom. And everything shifted. And I knew God was saying, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm telling you to do it. Even if everyone leaves, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be obedient. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I wouldn't blame them for leaving. I know me. And suddenly, although it was still scary, knowing that he had put me there, his staff had held me close. I knew I'm, I'm close to the shepherd at the moment. He is speaking to me. You see, if you've strayed away from the shepherd and you've just made decisions, that is really scary, isn't it? That feels so different. But when you know he actually, as far as you can tell, he's led you to where you are. It changes everything, even when it's potentially scary. I remember 18 months ago, me and my wife went through a period of several months of all I can say. It was like a demonic attack of like fear. It was awful. And it went on for many, many weeks. And, uh, and <coughs> we prayed our hearts out. We did everything we could. And all we had to do was, all we could do was just to stand and to get through it. And it did pass. But I remember in the middle of it, just suddenly remembering, but you know what? I know that God's called me here to do this. And he's called Josie here. Which means he, he must know what he's doing in allowing this. Because this feels like this is right at our limits in terms of what we can stand. And we learned in that time that knowing he was close was huge. When I think about us going to three sites, on paper you think, really? That's a bit of a crazy, complicated way of, you know, spanning. So we just buy an enormous hall or something. But no, the Lord said very clearly, I want three congregations at least. And the challenges of, as we face that are real. And yet at the same time we say, but Lord... We know that you've spoken, you're leading us through this. So, perhaps you're in that place where you're more of a fearful sheep. And the Lord would want you to know that his, it isn't just his general presence, but it is his rod that destroys the lies and it is his spirit, his crook that holds you close. And even now for some of you are saying, yeah, yeah, I ha- I've just... I haven't listened to this and I need to. Or perhaps I've just, I felt like I've slipped a little from that intimacy thing. I need to make sure I'm close to him if he's actually going to have the power and the effect that he wants. But thirdly and lastly, in the last few verses, and with this we finish, he then describes what I think really is a needy sheep or a needy person. He says here, verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we see this, really, these last two verses are marked by by provision, by supply. The description of it is over and over again. David's wanting to say, even if you're someone, and actually... You're not particularly fearful. You're not particularly tired. But you do need stuff. You need answers. You need wisdom. You need friends. You need breakthrough with an area of your life. You need finance, whatever it is. He's, these last couple of verses, he's saying, even if you're, in your, if you're in that category as a sheep, he is a God who is sufficient. And it's okay to know your need. It is not weak to know that you need many, many different things. In fact, the older you get, the more you realize you are more needy than you ever realized. 
And so he, he just says it in, in many different ways. I, I, I never spotted this. He said, you prepare a table before me. A table. Not a, not, not a plate. He prepares a table of provision of food before me in the presence of my enemies. So again, he's, he's saying here, you know, I want to I supply your needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever they might be. And I want to supply them in such a way that, that they are not, they're not bound to the normal ways in which you feel okay. I want you to be able to experience them even when you're in the presence of those things that normally wind you up or prevent you from feeling okay. So for some of you, you feel all right and a sense of rest and a sense of provision and supply when you leave Canterbury or when your house is tidy or when the tick list is done or when, as far as you can tell, everyone likes you or when you're doing well in the areas that you deem your kind of successful ometers. And what he's saying is, I want to provide for you in a way in your soul so that even in the presence of things that normally would wage war against you, eating this spiritual meal that I'm describing for you, that you are able to, even in the presence of those enemies. You see, otherwise, we are a people who, who, can, who in effect are no different from the world. The ways in which we feel okay are dependent upon secondary things being present or not present. And he's saying, I want to I do something so deep in your soul that even surrounded by either literal enemies who have it in for you or often just things that can get under your skin and rob you of your joy in your shepherd, I want to supply a supernatural thing into your soul hour by hour, day by day, so that you are able to metaphorically feast, not just at a little plate full of food, but ultimately at a table full. A table full. My cup overflows. He's like one of those hosts, you know? You've only just had one or two sips and already they're, they're there again, filling it up. My cup overflows. Surely only goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is an incredible picture of, of word upon word that's describing this richness of provision. So am I saying that every Christian, therefore, if they just pray hard enough, they're going to literally get whatever they need or want? Am I, am I saying, is that what he's saying here? Is it a well, first of all, he's saying this is at times in your life, you'll be in the green pastures or in the valleys. And sometimes you'll be in those places where it's like a banquet of provision. But it's not necessarily all of our lives. In fact, it's never really all of our lives. And clearly, he's not saying that his sheep will literally never have any lack at all. What he's saying is this, is that his sheep will lack nothing that the shepherd thinks is good for them. The sheep, we will lack nothing that ultimately the shepherd knows that we need. But I think even more than the table and the food, what this really points to, and with this I finish, is that often we have to understand that even having those things solved, although sometimes that's God's way and we haven't even asked him, 
is that knowing the shepherd himself is actually what we need to discover yet again. We never, ever, ever get to the point in our lives, a single day never occurs where there isn't a profound need for us to ultimately encounter the shepherd himself. Although he does love to make our cup overflow. He does love to do all the things of it, and at times he really does. But what this is ultimately saying is that the shepherd himself is the one that simply knowing him is the real way in which we can become a people who no matter what's going on in our lives can ultimately say he is my sufficiency. Do you know the shepherd today? I mean, I don't mean just know about him. I mean, why are we here today? Aren't we in this room because ultimately we want to taste him afresh? This shepherd who who was made to lie down on a cross and have rusty nails rammed through his hands so that we could lie down in green pastures. The shepherd who, who was led through the streets of Jerusalem and was spat at and hated so that we could be led through green pastures and beside still waters. This shepherd who ultimately his soul experienced a hellish experience as the entire sin of the world was placed upon him. His soul experienced a kind of hell so that our soul could be restored. He didn't He didn't just taste the shadow of death. He looked death full in the face. He went into the epicenter of death so that we could be those who forever would only just taste the shadow. He was the one who who had his head crowned with thorns, with blood running down so that we could have our head anointed with oil. He's one who, in every way, when he dwelt on that cross at Gethsemane so that we could dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, what we have to understand as we finish this is that actually every single element of this verse, every single element of this amazing scripture is ultimately bought at the highest price. Every benefit we taste and we just get so relaxed with and so normal with has only come because our great shepherd in every opposite way experienced so much so that you and I today could know, well, wait a minute, if he's done that for me, if this shepherd has laid down his life for me, then today I can be someone who with great confidence, whether I'm weary or whether I'm fearful or whether I'm just needy, I, I can know the shepherd again and I can taste him. And I can see that he is good and that he is with me. So should we stand to our feet? And just for a moment, I just want you just to ask yourself, which of those three scenarios do you most resonate with? And perhaps you're here and you're like, do you know what, Tom, I'm like that first one. And I just, you know, I just, I know that I, I know in my head 
I should be someone who, who allows you to lead me into green pastures. But I never do for all those reasons you went through. And I want to ask you today in your heart to respond. It might be you want to be bold and just say, you know, I'm going to literally lie down. I would encourage you to do it if that's what the Lord is bubbling up in your heart. But even now as we stand here, just say, Lord, I, I know before you that, Lord, you want to make me. You want to, I don't want to resist this anymore. I want the gospel to actually change how I live. I want to learn to trust you rather than trusting myself. Right now, I want to say, if that's you, just in your hearts, don't, you know, don't look at me, look at him, the shepherd who's with you. He adores you. He is so for you. And he wants you to lift your gaze to him today afresh. And to say, Lord, I, I want to be a sheep who when people look at me, they can actually see the effect of a good shepherd. That I give you glory. Although there will be testing times, Lord, I, I want to pray, Lord, even let us never be a people who, who bring it upon ourselves. But we say, Lord, we know that you are teaching us to rest in you. Or perhaps you're that fearful sheep. And even as I've said it, you've been reminded of fears that might even seem small to you, but they're real. And I would just say to you even now, just say to your father, Lord, Lord, teach me. Teach me about this rod. Teach me about what it is to be someone who, who knows how to overcome the lies of the enemy. Teach me to walk closely to you. Let your staff, your spirit draw me in again and again so I'm not straying off on my own. Even now, just in your heart, do that transaction with your shepherd right now. Or perhaps you're that final category where there's just a whole host of different questions. You need guidance. You need X, Y, or Z. And just say, Father, today, I bring my need to you. And I ask, Lord God, that you will respond with tremendous, tremendous generosity. That I will experience a metaphoric table of provision. Maybe not even in the ways that I always envisioned, but you would provide. And bring it to him. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. He's with you. Thank you, God.